Hey, this is Brandon McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 20. I'm John DiCarlo, joined by Kyle Gauss, Sam Cohn, and Sam Newman. Kyle gets top going again. I went first. Yeah, that was coming. The lineup got stagnant. We had to move our high on base percentage guy to, like, to lead off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when the Braves moved Acuna from cleanup to lead off. You just got to put your best players in the position to make plays. So Sam's hitting out of the three hole. So that's not bad either. He's hits for power. Sam Cohn is a two hitter. A little slap hitter. I get it. I'll, yeah, your, I'll get on base. What's I'll your walk up? I mean, do we discuss walk-up music at this point before we start talking Temple Hoops and Temple Football? Put me on the spot like that. Mine is is Genuine's Pony. (laughs) (laughs) What a great choice. (laughs) Do either of you, do either of the Sams know that song? No. I mean, that's more like like my era. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely not my era. That's (laughs) what you said it. But a a little Genuine Pony story. Uh, a couple years ago, we got my old office used to have like 40 people in one office and we had people wouldn't hear if the administrative assistant wasn't at the front desk and somebody was knocking, it was locked, nobody would hear it. So they got this little doorbell and I kept making the joke that I was going to program it so that it played Genuine's Pony every time somebody played it instead of the ringing. <laughs> and then finally, like a woman told me, you know, what? I Googled that and that's really not a work appropriate song. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna walk away. <laughs> Just some like 65 year old, 70 year old woman googling genuine misspelled pony. What a start we're off to this week. It's yeah, a good song. That's your walk up song, Sam. Sam, what do you got? Probably "I Am a God" by Kanye West. Okay. <laughs> Intimidation factor. Don't know why I follow that up. Um, I guess probably something Oasis. Obviously, you know, I'm. I'm not very broad with that so i mean do you go like a single do you go like a, a uh like a, a non-single b-side type play an of thing? entire album like we'll we'll do a we'll do how a long B-side. it's taking them to get to the plate <laughs> Talk really i mean do you just go wonderwall uh no, no that's way too mainstream what yeah you gotta just bear crawl to uh home plate so you take your time <laughs> <laughs> hmm it's good stuff. Good stuff. John, okay. what's, your, John, what's your walk-up music going to be when we put you in in like an eleven to one game? I was <laughs> <laughs> the cleanup hitter. No, I call it seven. Remember, like, in, remember in Major League Two where they need Dorn to get on base? That's you. Yeah, so he takes it. <laughs> this he guy takes used it. to pitch you inside, right? Takes HBP, yeah. <laughs> and um, then he refuses to uh, get pinch ran for. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Oh, I'm good." Um, <laughs> Uh, let me think. I don't know. Maybe the what about Night Fever by the Bee Gees? Mix it up a little bit. Get a little little disco in there. Sam, don't <laughs> Sam Cohn giving us his generic his generic Night Fever dance. No, let me go come up with something. I, I mean, I love Cashmere, but that's Chase's song. Baseball not exactly like a great mix. What's that? That isn't. Aren't the Bee Gees and baseball not exactly a great mix? Well, yeah, because that that DJ from um, from Chicago organized that disco sucks party yeah. back in the back in the seventies, and it turned out to be like just this huge like 
this huge mess turned into like just like this racist forum where people were just decreeing all sorts of stuff, disco and everything else. And it was the 1981 version of Parlor. Anyway, so getting back to Temple basketball, we, Temple we football. Been on Temple yet? Yes. Um, got a lot of stuff to go over with you guys <laughs> this week. In addition to our our fake walk up music. Um, Temple's basketball team, the Owls, have now improved to four and four after Tuesday's win over Tulsa. Got a little bit of football to talk about as well. Sam Newman was able to catch up with Kobe Wilson, one of the team's promising young defensive players and linebackers. We know how much they have to replace on that side of the ball. Got some mailbag questions for you as well. Uh, let's talk about this Temple basketball team again. They improved to four and four. Um, Continuing to look better. Obviously, I guess we've they've played two games since we last talked to you guys. Of course, they, um, I don't know. I guess about what we expected when they when they lost to Houston. Houston very much looked like the eighth ranked team in the country, if if not better. Uh, we can see the difference between the two programs. And then again, Temple bounced back yesterday in a 76-67 win. Uh, Caleb Battle goes for career highs of 22 points and 11 rebounds. So we're seeing some promising signs there. Obviously, the 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 team and the program aren't where Aaron McKee wants them to be yet. If they were, they'd be seven and one and nationally ranked or something like that. But uh, Sam Cohen, I'll kick it over to you first. Um, what did you see yesterday? Uh, again, obviously some good stuff from Caleb battle. Uh, there were some pluses and minuses with foul trouble. Uh, they led by what as many as 22 at one point. So obviously Tulsa made things a little hairy at the end, but temple held on. What are your general impressions from the game? Um, well, quick, quick point before we get into yesterday or whatever day's game um their only losses are smu and houston yeah. on multiple occasions and if you think about it houston's one of the best teams in the nation and smu's one of the best teams in the conferences so they're playing like they're giving fights and they're playing well and they're getting wins against middle of the pack teams in the conference um which should say something in it in and of itself uh in terms of the other day's game against tulsa um yeah, as you mentioned, Caleb Battle was really the spark plug for them. Uh, they There was a lot of offensive distribution beyond that. Uh, nine guys played, eight scored. Irrational Parks was the only one that didn't score. Jeremiah Williams didn't have the scoring, wasn't scoring at the level that he generally does, but he was sharing the ball really well. He's kind of you – know, like I don't want to say that he's really – taking his game to a new level because he's doing a lot of the same stuff he was doing from the beginning of the season. That's, that's been impressive is he's, he's looked so poised running the offense and had a lot of confidence in terms of setting things up, finding guys, working through dribble handoffs, working through screen and rolls and finding guys to make plays. Um, Caleb battle, although he did hit a lot of really nice shots, make a lot of really nice plays. Decision-making wasn't always exactly there. He did turn the ball over five times. He said post game that he didn't exactly think he had a great game. He came into the, presser and I think everyone was ready to ask him like you just had a career day your career high in points your career high in rebounds and your first career double double how does that feel and his response was essentially I don't think I played that well and the interesting part was like he, like him talking about he's learned a lot from Aaron McKee and this and the Temple staff he tweeted post game like the staff doesn't get enough credit for how much they do for their guys um, and how much they've helped their guys so Caleb Battle was definitely the big the big point and I guess the thing I'll end on and then I'll kick it over to you guys is um in the last so jake forrester has been on the americans weekly honor roll two weeks straight he's gotten big five honors two weeks straight and despite a slow start to the season despite foul trouble a lot early in the season uh he found himself back in that scenario along with damian dunn both getting in uh, in pretty bad foul trouble both fouling out by the end of the game against tulsa 
um, which is a lot of the reason that Tulsa was able to chip away at the lead, able to crawl back because their seven-footer going one-on-one with J.P. Mormon in the post isn't a good matchup for Temple, who generally likes to play small ball and has some success with it. But they're against certain matchups, they're going to need a guy like Jay Forrester in the interior. They're going to need size. They're going to need an interior presence. Jay Forrester, although having a solid game at the offensive end of the floor, got a couple buckets early. Um, did well on the glass. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but having him out of the game and having Damian Dunn out of the game, two starters in crunch time um, as Tulsa's chipping away, it was a seven point game at one point. Uh, it, hurt, it hurt them, but they were, they were this young crew was still able to, to secure the win. Yeah, just going off of that, I mean, with the foul trouble you're talking about, that was Sam, I don't know about you, but Aaron, Aaron seemed like kind of visibly. Um, frustrated by, you know, being every time he's asked about Jake's foul trouble, he seemed like he pretty much said, you guys asked me about this every time we hop on a zoom session, he's aware of it, but like he he needs to like, you know, put it into action. So I, they keep telling him to just keep his hands up and it just seems like he's, he's not able to. Um, so that, that, I mean, considering the depth that temple has behind him, what I lack thereof, I mean, Arashma Parks has really done nothing for them this year. And I don't know if he's still being hindered by a shoulder injury or what, but I mean, it, it shows it in his, in his minutes. And as you mentioned, I mean, he, he was the only player who didn't score yesterday. And then Nick Jordan is kind of seen after he played a little bit in the first couple of games has not really had an existent role. So I, I think that's something that's going to figure out. And, and Tulsa kind of, kind of showed how you can expose a temple team. Cause if you get them in foul trouble, they're and you can kind of beat them down low. So that's definitely something that they're going to have to work on going forward for sure. That quote that you guys are referring to uh, with Jake and it comes to his foul trouble, the part of the quote, the second part of the quote here from Aaron from yesterday was he got us off to a good start. And we told him, hey, you've got to find a way to keep yourself in the game. And we're telling him not to foul. Just get your hands up. But for some reason, he can't control it. He's still a work in progress when it comes to that, along with Damian Dunn. Hopefully these guys watch film of this game and just learn from it. I mean, he was, if anything, again, he only played uh only ended up playing 16 minutes. Now he was very efficient in those 16 minutes, five of six from the field, six boards, um, no assists, two turnovers, did get 10 points. Uh, On the flip side of it, I mean, I, it it sounds generic, but just for them to get a win against Tulsa was big. Now I know that Tulsa has owned them more down there. Temple has never beaten Tulsa down there in Oklahoma, but I mean, again, for, for a team that's been on again, off again, literally in terms of how often they can play, Beating a Tulsa team that's owned you and a program that has really owned you was, a, I, I think, a significant step forward for them. I mean, what what Aaron said in terms of how they beat their zone yesterday wasn't anything fancy. He said, you know, we just want to go, we just want to go inside out. And again, they were able to do that when Jake was on the floor. Obviously, they were able to break down their zone by, you know, by knocking down some shots. And Trey Perry bounced back. Uh, and I know that I know that Brendan Barry isn't scoring at the clip that everybody wants him to. And I I think it's just as simple as you can see how much teams are doing to try to deny him the ball. But what does it give them that they didn't have last year? It's allowing them to space the floor better. When somebody constantly has to chase him around and constantly has to pay attention to him, he's freeing up somebody else. So I'm continuing to see signs of progress. Yes, they could have been uh, a lot less sloppy in how they finished out the game. But as Aaron said, when you have Jeremiah Williams on the floor, Caleb Battles handling the ball, actually a, a fair amount. You know, um, I think Chris Clark or Jimmy, one of them might have said uh, back in the spring when we talked to them that the ball handling was one of the things he'd have to work on. I'm sure he does, but he is bringing the ball up the floor a lot. He's driving a lot. Uh, I wasn't entirely surprised that they were a little sloppy in finishing out the game, but I get Jeremiah Williams, eight assists yesterday, uh, still had a, a great game. Again, didn't 
put up uh, a lot in terms of points, six points, but he played 36 minutes, eight assists, two turnovers, um, played another solid game. Uh, so Great defense I don't know. too. Yeah. Sam, Sam had pointed out that his defensive effort in that game should not go unnoticed. And it's not easy covering, you know, a team starting point guard, taking on a tough defensive assignment and finding ways to score the ball at the offensive end of the floor. Um, Elijah Joyner, who I had tweeted out during the game that he went to Curie, which is Simeon's one of Simeon's rival high schools, but yeah. he's a couple years older. So obviously, so when Jeremiah only playing his senior year at Simeon, their times did not overlap. Uh, but he's from the Chicago area, played in the Chicago Public League, and he only scored two points in the first half. And I'm pretty, I if I'm not mistaken, Jeremiah was the one covering him for a majority of the game. He had ten or twelve in the second half, but um, Jeremiah really limited his production offensively. So. Um, I, as Sam had mentioned it uh, earlier and you know, during the game, that definitely shouldn't go unnoticed. I mean, it's something they can hang their hat on though. Uh, even when there have been, you know, maybe some miscues and struggles, it's just the way that their defense is played. I mean, they, I know I might butcher his last name, but they shut down Tulsa's leading score for the majority of the game. Granted, they'd open up opportunities for other players. And that's kind of something that, that, you know, has been Temple's biggest bugaboos when they shut down one, somebody usually another one goes off, but uh yeah, no, that, that I was impressed with the way that they were able to, to keep him in check. All right, so just a few minutes ago, we did mention, uh, I think Sam mentioned that Caleb Battle talked about how, you know, although he played well, he wasn't satisfied. He mentioned that the, you know, the turnovers uh, that he had in the game, five turnovers, he wasn't satisfied with that. Watch some film. Here is that clip from Caleb Battle talking to reporters over Zoom after yesterday's game, after yesterday's win over Tulsa. Uh, I mean, my job to come off the bench, play hard, you know, and, you know, just help my teammates win. So whatever I could do, I mean, I, I really don't think I had the best game today. You know, I still had five turnovers at the end of the day. So, you know, I got to keep on working on, on just being in control with the ball. And we work on these situations in practice. So there's really no excuse for my, what I did at the end of the game. All right. So there again, you, you hear about a player that is far from satisfied with what he's doing. But again, Temple's really starting to see, uh, what they had hoped for and what they had bargained for with Caleb Battle. Again, a former Trenton Catholic star, uh, played one season last year at Butler, immediately eligible now. So again, his numbers from yesterday, 32 minutes, 6 of 10 from the field, 3 of 6 from three-point range, 7 of 8 from the line, 11 boards. Again, that was a career high. Both totals yesterday, points and rebounds were career highs. Uh, three assists, the five turnovers he wasn't uh, happy with. But again, he, another guy whose progress is moving things along and kind of changing the temperature of the room for this Temple program now. Um, guys, does the starting lineup change in the future, you think? Or do you think Aaron just keeps rolling with the same starting five here? I, I think, well, someone had asked Aaron McKee postgame, like what his thoughts were. And I, he's been pretty reluctant to say he's thought much of anything about it. I think it's a very real possibility that with the inconsistent play of guys like, um, Dre, Jake, and JP on there with their ability to stay on the floor. Like they've all played really well in spurts. They've all had their their uh, excuse me. They've all had their good games. They've all shined. Jake Forrester mainly of late. Uh, Dre Perry hasn't exactly been able to get his three point shot going, but he's found other ways to impact the game. Um, JP we've talked about as a really high basketball IQ, and he's either been able to impact the game at the defensive end on the glass or get his shot going. So I think if I think you're looking at a scenario where they pull one of them. If I were to guess, I would say probably Dre, leave JP and Jake in the front court and put in Caleb Battle. Kyle's shaking his head now. I'm going to Stephen A. Smith this. If you think there's any chance that Aaron McKee is going to put his fifth year or fourth year senior starter on the bench for Caleb Battle, you're out of your mind. There's, there's I, no chance. <laughs> do, you do you think, think they can get done? 
No, I, I don't think it happens. Uh, I, okay. I think the, I think the cliche... this, this is a hypothetical. I think yeah, that's I, the, I think that's I think that's the way it fits. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I agree with you. I think that's a good point. They're not going to pull you know the senior fifth year whatever. But um, I, this is just a hypothetical if it, if it happens. Yeah, I, I think I think it's just I think it's an issue if there if it was hard to get Caleb Battle minutes. Like if it was like okay, he's coming off the bench, he's only playing 18 minutes a game, and how are you going to find a way for this to happen? Then that's one thing. He's coming off the bench, played 32 against Tulsa, 33 against Houston, 19 against Tulane, but that was his first game back. I think it's the old Randolph cliche of it doesn't matter who starts, it matters who finishes. They're finding plenty of opportunities. He's getting a crap ton of usage when he's actually on the court. I think his role right now is is fine. I, I think the only way it happens, I think if anything, it's more likely that a Damian Dunn or somebody comes off, but I don't see that happening either. I think it's Caleb Battle. See if you can play your way to six man of the year. Let me like, let me pose like coach Aaron McKee. <laughs> I I agree with you, Kyle. Let me pose this question though to you. Like mm. on how what happens on a day where Damian Dunn really does have it going and he doesn't get into foul trouble? Because I think we can attribute a lot of Caleb's minutes. Uh, obviously, he's he's playing well. They're going to stick with him. But I think Damian Dunn playing eighteen minutes and getting into foul trouble does clear out some room for Caleb Battle. So what do you do on a day? Obviously, it's a plus if Damian Dunn is not in foul trouble and he's playing well. Who does he take minutes from? Is he taking him from Dre, or you just keep you just keep rolling him into the game? Damian Dunn had one foul and played twenty eight minutes against Houston. Like you've already had that that scenario happen right. where Dunn doesn't get into foul trouble and Battle still found a way to play thirty two minutes or thirty three minutes. I Fair think it's point. just it's they're not playing conventional two guard or two guards two right. one forward two so like two power uh, bigs. There's four guards out there a lot. Brendan Berry and Caleb Battle are going to play a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. Also, not to mention question. In in the front court is Jake. I mean, Jake Forster has been in foul trouble most like in pretty yeah. much every game besides the two that he had, um, the two that he put up fifteen points. So that that also is another reason why they'll probably play small ball and you'll see three guards in the lineup and and they go from there. I think, as you, I mean, the Dumpy cliche. I, I and, and at the same time, I think the starting lineup is over is always overrated by fans. I think it just. I mean, at the end of the game, if if Dre Perry starts and only plays like twenty. Five minutes and Caleb plays 32 like that's probably what they're going for and and Dre only played like not that he you know played well there's Houston but he only played 10 minutes and Caleb played 32 so you're gonna I, I this Temple team they're young they have inconsistencies it, it seems like you know there's games where not everybody is going to be on so it, you just kind of have to roll with that can I spin zone this question sure Temple plays Tulane on Sunday at noon one o'clock um I think noon doesn't matter New, right? Say Temple's up. Say Temple's up for two two minutes and change left. Who's on the floor? And, and everybody's nobody's, nobody's in out. foul trouble. This is a complete hypothetical that everybody has the exact what same scenario. They're points. up four. Is that what you said? Up four, two minutes and change left. Hypothetically, everyone has the exact same number of points. Everyone has played the exact same number of minutes, and no one's in foul trouble. Are you asking between you, battle who, and done? Or are you asking like the full five? Give me five. I want. Who do you want on the floor? Dunn, Battle, Barry. One of, and then I'll, I'll go Perry and Mormon. I don't know if I want Jake Forrester no, J- on the floor right there. Just because I mean, I think, I think it, I think it comes down to. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Jeremiah instead of Barry, but I think it just comes down to foul a lot. Free throw mm-hmm. a lot up four. That yeah. you want them on there, which we can talk about. We can talk about Damian Dunn free throws as much as you want. We were talking about that a little bit in the group chat about how he's a volume free throw shooter, not necessarily a super accurate one at this point. But 
Yeah, I, I, I think Battle's on the floor in those situations. I think he's shown that he struggled with free throws early on, but then when it actually matters in games, his free throw percentage goes up a lot. So mm-hmm. that would be my five. Yeah, yeah. for, for okay. me uh, – uh, go ahead, John. Oh, you got it, Tim. All right, so I was going to say, I, I mean, I, I would pretty much go with Battle, um, Don, Jeremiah, one of Mormon and Perry, and and, and maybe both of them. But it, I think it all depends, really. Like, is Tulane like playing big? Because if they are, you can't really have JP and Dre on the floor because we saw what happened against Tulsa. So say if Tulane's playing big, yeah, I th- think you're going to have to have Forrester out on the floor just because, and probably Dre goes to the bench. But if they're if they're playing where Temple can get away with the small ball, I think you'll have uh, Perry, Mormon, Jeremiah, Dunn, and um, Caleb. I, yeah, I think I would have Damian, Dunn, Caleb, Battle, Brendan Barry, Jeremiah Williams, and, and Dre Perry out there. Again, I, I think Sam makes a good point. Yeah, if, if Tulane's playing a little bit bigger – defensively you might have a better approach there but yeah i'd i'd trust i mean you have brendan barry out there i i don't think brendan barry's been you know i think people have you know unfairly stereotyped him said okay he's an ivy league guard how quick is he going to be defensively i really don't think he's been that much of a defensive liability i don't think you see you've seen too many occasions where like he just got completely roasted or was was super slow to to rotate on defense and you want him out there because he's a good foul shooter um yeah, I mean, probably Jeremiah. Yeah, Jeremiah, Dre Perry, Brandon Barry, Caleb Battle, and Damian Dunn would be the five that I would have out on the floor. I think that list. Do you want me to go? Um, I can take. I would take Jeremiah, Damian Dunn, um, Caleb Battle, Jake Forrester, either JP or Dre, and I'm running quick subs with uh, Brandon Barry and either Damian Dunn or Caleb Battle. I'm Running, I'm running quick subs Same in a late game scenario. I'll, I'll, I'll put one in for defense. I'll put, you know, whoever, if you know, someone makes a mistake, you're getting yanked and I'm putting someone else in kind of thing. General question for you guys and fans probably hate this because they, they want the team to be undefeated at this point, which I understand, but um, <laughs> is this team or this program considering the roster overhaul, considering where they are, you think they're ahead of schedule, right on schedule or behind schedule? I think, I think they're kind of on schedule. I think it's just more obvious now on January 27th, as opposed to November 1st, that they are on the right path in my mind. Mm-hmm. I think, I think when Temple wasn't playing and you hadn't played in eight, nine months and you hadn't seen anything, it's, it was kind of hard to envision like, where are they going with this? And I think you've seen that they've hit on Damian Dunn. They've hit on Jeremiah Williams. They've self-scouted well on Caleb Battle. They scouted well on Brendan Barrett. I think I'm more confident in the blueprint at this point than I was nine months ago. But I'll say they're about right on schedule. I would agree that the question the question is, what's your schedule? My schedule says this is year two. If they finish eleven and ten, that's a good year for year two. You're above five hundred. You're on the right path. You build from there. Um, I think if someone says no, year two they should be going to the NCAA tournament, then their schedule might be a little off. Mm-hmm. I would I would agree that they're on schedule, but I think I would make the art. I think you, there's an argument to be made that to say they're behind schedule would to be would to say that Ty Strickland is not where we thought he would be at this point in the season, and we haven't seen any of Julio White because he was injured. I think if you add those two, if Ty was playing right now the way we thought he would play, maybe Jeremiah isn't exactly at the level he's at right now just because he wouldn't have had the same, the same amount of reps. But let's say hypothetically that. Ty is where we thought he might have been. 
Jaleel was healthy. Then it comes down to a numbers game, as Aaron McKee likes to say, about who's getting what kind of minutes. I think that's that's your on schedule, and that's, I think, their slightly – I think I think Jaleel makes them a lot better of a team. I think what Ty could have brought, I think, makes them a lot better of a team. Um, he's clearly regressed in his first – in his first couple of games and hasn't seen the floor in weeks. But, um, but I, I would agree with Kyle that if you're around 500 slightly above, I think you're right where you want to be in Aaron McKee's second year. And in the first year with such a, a significant roster overhaul. Yeah. I think the other part is if, if you were, if this was year five and you were saying, no, they have to, they have this roster, it's year five and see what they can do. Then you're probably also seeing them force Sage Tolbert out there into minutes. I think they're slow burning this. Sage would have been a guy that you said, okay, well now Jay can play more aggressive because they have another big that can actually fill those spots. But I think, I think it's a stew, baby. I think you're not just throwing this in the oven. I think you're crock potting it and you're slowly just, you're letting it cook. How's getting hungry. You throw, you throw a chicken, what is it? A chicken leg in there. You got yourself a stew, baby. Yeah. I, I think that they're right now that they're on, um, they're probably right about schedule. I, I think Sam makes a good point about Ty Strickland, but I, I think at the same time that there was bound with the level of guards that they have on this team, there was bound for somebody to, to be buried on the depth chart. Um, unfortunately it's Ty, but I think you have to take that with the fact that Jeremiah Williams looks like everything that they probably wanted and, and more. And I think the way that some of these players have developed before our eyes, like in the first, what have they played? Eight games is, is pretty impressive just to see, you know, Damian Dunn and, and Jeremiah Williams, the way that they played. I mean, even Caleb battle, somebody who hasn't, you know, he, he is a, you know, was a former four-star recruit played a little bit at Butler, but he, I mean, he barely like even practiced and then he didn't practice at all for like two months and thrown in the line. What'd yeah. you say? Quincy you too. Yeah. And Quincy too. And, you know, um, obviously you probably would, I mean, Nick Jordan, this is probably like a red shirt year for him, not like a red shirt, but you know what I mean? Like as the terms of, you know, we, we, in like an odd COVID year, Nick Jordan would probably be red shirting this year. And, and he kind of, when he talked to Sam, he would be like, yeah, I, I'm still like a work in progress. And he clearly is, but I think he's shown, you know, some glimpses of, of, okay, this kid definitely belongs at this level. And, you know, obviously you would like to have seen Jaleel White and Sage Tolbert, but both of those things are kind of out of their hands. Um, So when you're talking about like on what they are capable of and on schedule, I I would say that, you know, they're right on schedule just because a lot of the the three things that you want to put out there, maybe Ty, Sage and Jaleel, they're out of their hands. Like in for Ty, yeah, he's regressed, but do we really know the whole story with, you know, maybe how much the shoulder is affecting him. You just don't know because he missed practice too. And they brought him back and maybe he's not, we just don't know. Maybe he's not the same player. I mean, I'm sure fans would, would say that I'm bright siding this, but to be four and four, having played Houston twice and having played SMU twice already, I, I don't think they're in such a bad spot. I think it would be really, really interesting if if Jaleel White was healthy and Sage Tolbert was healthy. I mean, the, the easier answer there is if Sage Tolbert's healthy, I think they're, you know, I think they're in a really good spot. And I think Arashma Parks is virtually not playing at all or playing just sparingly if Sage Tolbert's in the mix. If Jaleel White had been healthy, didn't re-tear his uh, meniscus cartilage in his left knee and was playing as well as as um, Jimmy Faraday and Chris Clark said he was pushing to start, yeah, then I think the guard lineup becomes even more interesting uh, but again, it's a, it's a pleasant problem to have. And, and although Quincy Adam McCoy hasn't been playing a ton, he, he at least has been getting in earlier, hasn't really been buried on the bench. You can see that he's, he's knocked down a few shots. And if he gets to where he needs to be defensively, I mean, there's great length there. I mean, they really are. I, I agree with Kyle. I know it's been their 
one of their marketing slogans because Aaron McKee's nickname is blue, but th there is a blueprint there. Like you can see, you know, they have a couple of conference and national models. They, they want to be like Houston. They want to be long and athletic and, and be a pain in terms of, you know, getting those extra rebounds and keeping possessions alive. Ultimately they'd like to be like Florida state, but you can see with the exception of Brendan Barry, um, yeah, I think, you know, I see Miller coming in is about six one. So he's not a super long uh, guy, but other than that, I, I think the, the pieces are there. It's just, you know, developing them, uh, you know, keeping them on the roster. Um, but other than that, I mean, four and four, I mean, they're playing a two lane team this weekend that uh, two lanes going to really be tested tonight against Houston. They play Houston tonight. I guess we're recording this on a Thursday, Uh Houston's ranked six now. Tulane is playing them, and then they'll play Temple on Sunday. Tulane only has one conference win. They've kind of beefed up the the wins that they have against a, a pretty soft non conference schedule. They're six and four um, on a two game losing streak right now. So that's a game that I would expect Temple to win or certainly be competitive in. So I don't know. I think the, I think the roster is discernibly better than it was last year. I would agree. Um, and this is kind of completely random, but a couple of years ago, I was on a podcast on a Houston Cougars podcast called the Scott and Hallman podcast, which I guess is the intersection of where their athletic department is. Um, and because Temple played a noon Tuesday game, you had a bunch of random people watching it or one o'clock Tuesday and whatever it was. And they said, uh, Temple might be a team worth buying stock in long-term. Dunn and Williams clearly have their flaws, but you don't have to squint too hard to see them developing into good pain in the ass cards, which I would agree with. Caleb Bell's game changer, big guard who can knock down shots, blah, blah, blah. I really thought Temple would be a bottom two AAC team, and they far outpaced that. I would, I would agree with that entire sentiment. I think you project Damian Dunn and Jeremiah Williams are exciting as they are. Jeremiah Williams just finished top 10 on SportsCenter, top 10 with number four, four to steal his layup. Imagine him in three years when he's yeah. 21, 22 years old. He's going to be that type of guard that just gives people pain. Like he, gives, he causes them trouble. And now you just hope that there's four or five more of those on the roster that they can just keep rolling out there. All right. So Sam Cohn did another film session breakdown this one with Caleb Battle, who we've been talking about a lot on this podcast for good reason. Sam, this is a subscriber story. So again, if you guys uh, have subscribed to alscoop.com, you can get the full story and the film session breakdown there. Sam, why don't you give, give people a little taste of what they can expect when they, when they read that. Um, just to clarify, it is on Caleb Battle. I wish it was with Caleb Battle. I'd love to sit down and break down film with him one time, but <laughs> yes, yeah, that sorry. can't happen. No, no, that's okay. Um, so you don't know what's going to change between now and tomorrow morning when the pod comes out. Maybe you will do a film session. Maybe I'll get a chance Caleb to do it with him. Yeah. Um, but yes, there is one thing that I want to, uh, I want to tease about the, that's in the film breakdown and that's, um, and I think it speaks to a larger conversation that we've had and both in our group chat and kind of the narrative around Temple basketball. And that's it. Brendan Berry showed he can be a really, really good shooter for the first four or five games. And then it became quickly apparent that if other guys aren't doing anything, that other opposing teams are just going to key on him, key in on him and completely take him out of the game. Um, and Damian Dunn and Jeremiah Williams, both guys, I think we can all agree are, I would say, trustworthy three-point shooters but not lights out three-point shooters. Not a guy that's going to draw that much attention from the perimeter. Damian Dunn is time and again, there was one play in the Tulsa game where he caught the ball at the free throw line. And instead of pulling from 12 feet, he drove into contact uh, yeah. instead of taking the open shot. And there have been moments on the perimeter where he's had the shot. He hasn't taken it. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah Williams doesn't seem, you know, he's not aggressive, you know, aggressive with the green light, but he's knocked down a couple three pointers. 
My point is that neither of those guys are shooters like Brendan Barry is. The addition of Caleb Battle into this lineup changes things a lot in that sense. And I think that's something we've talked about that, like, if they have other guys that can score, other guys that can make plays, that opens the floor up so much more. So there was one play, um, two minutes left in the first half. I have it up here on my screen with two minutes left in the first half. Temple's up 19. Uh, it's Caleb Battle, Jeremiah Williams, Brendan Barry, Dre Perry, and JP Mormon on the floor together. Um, Jeremiah Williams starts the, the half court set with a dribble handoff to, J, to Dre Perry, who then swings it over to Caleb Battle. Tulsa's in a 1 2 2 zone defense. So Caleb Battle catches the ball like top of the key, slightly off to the right, and Brendan Barry's in his strong side corner. JP Mormon comes up and sets a screen on, uh, on the top guy of the zone. And when Caleb Battle takes one step to the right on that screen, his defender has to see him. The other defender on the wing, his momentum comes towards Caleb Battle. He draws in that second defender. And then the defender on the bottom block has to account for J.P. Mormon rolling to the corner. With that kind of attention that Caleb Battle can draw two steps off the, off the line, leaves Brendan Berry wide open in the corner. And that's when he finds Brendan Berry, who knocks down the wide open three. So that the, the point about Caleb Battle, yes, he scored 22 points. Yes, he brought, in a, brought down 11 rebounds. Yes, he had a couple turnovers. But I think that what he does in the long run and kind of looking at it from a broader scope is that he can be that guy that draws that attention with the ball in his hands. John had mentioned earlier that he had the ball in his hands, I think a lot more lately than we all, than any of us really expected. So him having the ball in his hands, him being able to get that action at the top of the key, be on the three-point line and draw that kind of attention opens up the floor for someone like Brendan Barry and say that bottom guy does go out and see Brendan Barry that out of the leads to, he finds Brendan Barry in the corner and who then kicks it into JP Mormon rolling to the hoop who's wide open or, um, or he finds J.P. Mormon rolling to the hoop. So the, there's a lot more options with Caleb Battles, what I'm trying to get at, when he draws that kind of attention. At this point in the game, he already had 10 points. He already established himself as someone who can score the basketball. He already had both his and once. He already knocked down a three. So he had shown that like he can be that guy who can make plays um, for this Temple team. I think that was one of the more interesting things I took away from, from going back and watching Caleb's film from this game. I completely agree. And I think what you see in the future is you just talked about how – Defenses start keying in on him after he has that early success and they start to realize this. Well, now he's already had that success. Now when Tulane is scouting Temple again and when UCF is scouting Temple again, that's already on film. They know they have to key in on him to begin with freeing up more opportunities for Barry. So I think it's something that you see continue to give. But yeah, I think that was a good film breakdown that you only get on Alscoop.com. What I see in the future is, is Sam Cohn is a graduate assistant coach on Aaron McKee's staff. Nope, because he just froze again. Yeah. <laughs> so. Sam has been having Zoom issues on this podcast, but that was one hell of a breakdown. All right. So speaking of subscriber content, moving over to football, Sam Newman, Carolina, Sam talked to Kobe Wilson, one of Temple's best young defensive players. I guess we'd still consider him a freshman, right? Considering that the, this was a pretty much an eligibility free season. So Sam talked to Kobe Wilson, got some interesting stuff. Again, it's a subscriber piece. If you are subscribed to alscoop.com, you can check it out. It's up on the website. Now, Sam, you want to give listeners a little bit of uh, what they can expect in that story? Yeah. So, I mean, Kobe Wilson is one of those guys. I mean, to be quite honest, it's kind of ironic because he, he was a late last second, you know, he flipped to temple, got it. Georgia kind of creeped in at the last minute, tried to get him to stay home. He flipped from Memphis and now this kid is completely in, like he's absolutely all in. Um, it looks like we lost Sam again. Um, <laughs> but um, no, he, I mean, he was pretty candid. He, he felt like that a lot of the guys in the locker room last year and probably the most of them that left weren't completely in, weren't completely bought in. And I 
guess that's what you kind of saw when players left. They weren't really surprised. I mean, he mentioned that a couple of guys to me, I didn't, I didn't have this in the article, but he mentioned that, you know, when Isaiah Graham Mobley and Chris Banks decided the transfer, like those were, those were kind of surprised to the team, but others were, were not, I guess they kind of, there was kind of tea leaves there and, um, maybe, maybe there's stuff in the locker room that, that, that kind of pointed to that, that maybe the guys weren't bought in hundred percent, but, um, the coaching staff has kind of taken to that since being back. Um, and what they do is, is carry is, has made players get wristbands that they, they go in and sign a covenant that, you know, they're completely all in and then they have to wear the wristband to prove that, you know, to prove themselves that they're 100% in, which I thought was a really neat antidote. Um, interesting that that's what Carrie and his staff has started to do. And, and Kobe Wilson was one of the first one. He said he was one of the first people to sign that covenant, one of the first people to get that wristband. Um, and the story talks about how Rod Carey is kind of like a father figure to him. Coach uh, Jeff Knowles, is the defense coordinator, is kind of like a, an older brother, but also a fatherly figure. So it seems, he seems like he's got a great relationship with the coaching staff and he, he's going to be immersed into, you know, the middle of the field for them for a while. Um, you know, he didn't go into too much specifics of where he's going to play on the field, but, you know, he, he played Bubo, not a position he was recruited to play here and did pretty well. He can, he can play, you know, that Sam will back. Uh, he can pretty much do anything in the middle of the field for them. So, I mean, you know, this, this is the type of when we, you know, when there's conversations about Rod Carey's and his staff ability to recruit, Kobe Wilson is the guy that you look at, somebody who's a three-star, a lot of power five offers, Memphis included too. And this is a kid who wants to be here. He's completely in. So I, I think that um, for Temple, you, you kind of have to take your losses like like they did. I mean, do, do what they had to do in the portal. And um, But when, when you have somebody like Kobe Wilson, who is practically, I mean, he's considered a freshman. It's going to be a second year. But he has five collegiate games under his belt, and he's ready to step up, and he's ready to lead his teammates. So I think – um, as they kind of go into the next direction with this program, I think having Kobe Wilson is one of the face of it. They, they could do a lot worse. All right. So again, check out Sam's story when you get a chance. Uh, this will be our last podcast before the second national signing day, which will be next week. Uh, we've got some mailbag questions about this as well. Um, one pertaining to, to Trad Betty, uh, but we expecting any movement between, uh, between this week and next week, I mean, obviously there's going to be they're they're down a quarterback now. Uh, Trab Betty has decided to retire, as we understand it is tied to the the injury that he sustained against SMU, which we was believed to be a concussion. So he's stepping away from football. Um, what do we think? Are you guys expecting to see anything shake loose between now and and next week when it comes to recruiting? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think uh, one thing that's kind of important to call out to the casual fan or casual recruiting fan is just because a guy like Trad Betty left and now there's an open scholarship there, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden Temple can take one more person than before. There's still rules where, you know, programs can only take maximum 25 scholarship guys a calendar year. Yes, there's ways around that where, hey, you only took 22 the year before. You can count three of those early enrollees towards 2020 and blah, blah. But there is a there is a limit. So as of right now, I mean, Temple has via – uh, transfers and via high school kids, they, they probably have like five or six spots to kind of work with in this class. Um, I think Sam Newman kind of just alluded to the fact that in order to kind of weather that storm of the exodus of guys that might not have been all the way bought in, uh, that they, they are going to use utilize the transfer portal more than they would in, in other years. And that makes next Wednesday less significant than a, a conventional signing day. Um, I think, I think you'll definitely still see, hey, they're going to announce, even though they've already announced it, 
uh, Zach Gill and, and Iverson Clement and Lansine Ture. I still think they're going to try to add in a, a starting cornerback. Some of the names you're kind of hearing up there are like Cameron Ruiz, who was a cornerback from Northwestern, started a bit, even started a couple games this year and kind of got benched as he went. He's starting to get the, the temple follow process uh, treatment is getting it back. Uh, you're seeing Adam Sparks. It's a very similar story. Started as a freshman, sophomore, cornerback in Missouri, kind of dwindles, went down. I think you're going to see them try to find a plug and play cornerback. Um, and other than that, I mean, I don't know if, if you hold some of these spots for later on in the process, because co- conventionally and in pre-COVID years and pre-free transfer waivers, if that still passes years, this is when you kind of find when the exodus happens is usually April, May after spring ball and somebody had 15 practices and they didn't carve out the role they wanted. So now they're looking for greener pastures. So I think they are going to want to keep some of those open for later on, um, even with the staff. I mean, Aaron Monroe didn't get added until May, June, July, the year that he played. Uh, Joseph Hooper was a May, June, July guys, these summer guys. So I think you'll see something. Uh, I think there might still be a, a high school name out there. I know the guys that that we still have listed committed, committed as Antonio Barber and Jalen Martin. Uh, I don't think it's likely at all that Jalen Martin ends up signing with Temple. Uh, if you're keen to social media, he's removed every reference to Temple on his social media. So that's usually a, uh, reading the tea leaves. And I think it's still up in the air with Antonio Barber. So I think there's the possibility for up to five guys next Wednesday, in addition to Iverson Clement, Zach Gill and Lansing Ture. But I think it's also likely that also possible that we have no idea that these guys don't come in until later on. Yeah. And then Kyle, you mentioned, uh, I remember Kyle mentioned uh, Jaquan Amos from who's a local guy at, or Jaquan Armos. I butchered his name there. I think he's a, he's a local kid, but it looks like he might be on for, for bigger things is he's got some power five offers. So that might be a different case. Um, but, you know, when you look at the positions and obviously, you know, Kobe Wilson kind of alluded this too. there might be some guys who, who um, when he was talking with me, that there might still be some guys that leave too. So that, that can also play in the factor and why Temple might want to leave some spots open just because they don't know what positions they're going to have to eventually fill too. Um, I, I don't know if you guys believe this, but I feel like quarterback would still definitely be in play. It just, it's just a matter of, um, you know, what guy are they going to be able to take? Because is somebody going to want to come in and, and, you know, not necessarily might be the third or fourth option in the quarterback room. That's, you know, that's, and they're going to kicker is definitely a big thing as well. Um, and, and like Kyle said, that's probably, I, honestly, I could, I could see them waiting for kicker until, until later on, just because they're going to m- maybe take on t- somebody from an FCS school, maybe somebody who plays in the spring, who knows at this point. Um, I, I would be surprised if we see them make like, plug all those holes on uh, next week. I think maybe we'll see a couple of names, but in addition to, to Ray Gill and uh, Clement, but I, I don't think it's going to be anything too crazy. Yeah. I think you're, I think you raise a good point about the quarterback position. I think we have a mailback question about that later is what, what they decide to do with that position is probably going to be pretty telling in itself. If you bring in a guy that even though you brought in Duan Mathis, if you bring in a fifth year guy who is looking to get film then that tells you that either you don't think Mathis is ready right away or you just – I'll be curious to see if they use that spot for somebody like that because right now, Real Mitchell is your most experienced returning quarterback, and yeah. he's a redshirt sophomore. Um, like everybody's everybody else at the scholarship table is a freshman or a redshirt freshman going into next year. So like you said, are you going to be able to bring in a redshirt junior or a redshirt senior to kind of bring a veteran presence into that room? Like, if you're the kid, if you're the quarterback, are you going to want that? I don't know. That'll be interesting. Um, Reese Udinsky, the VMI quarterback, committed to Maryland. And even so, like, there's that's that's going to be, I think, the most telling. Like, if they bring in just say, hey, we brought in a transfer from 
Illinois, who's a redshirt freshman that we like, then okay, then that probably boosts your confidence a little bit in Mathis, but also uh, it might tell you that the staff is here for the long haul. Yeah, and the, the mailbag question that we're essentially just answering here now is from Owl Worldwide from the message board. And, and the question there was, with Trad announcing he's stepping away from football, do you think Temple will target another QB in the transfer portal? And yeah, I think those are all viable options there. Again, um, Justin Lynch. Why do I always get Justin Lynch, right? Jordan Lynch's brother. Justin Lynch coming in. We've mentioned this several times before. He's going to be a 17-year-old freshman when he comes in. I think the staff would would definitely want to redshirt him and and if Dewa Mathis is what you expect him to be, then the long-term battle there is, you know, how good is, is Dewa Mathis versus, uh, versus Justin Lynch. But yeah, I mean, if, if they do bring in somebody younger, then I think that makes things really interesting. Uh, we'll see what happens with Real Mitchell. Uh, Matt Duncan fits into the, into the mix there. He's back on the roster. So I, I don't know. You know Valenti too. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be something really interesting. Hopefully Rod Carey will have, media access next week and hopefully we'll, we'll get a chance to touch base with him ask him some of these questions and, and get answers to these questions but yeah if you see another name pop up there i i don't know what's out there in terms of yeah like a fifth year guy if you're re- you're just recruiting for depth at this point or does rod carry essentially say you know what uh we'll keep real mitchell at quarterback we like what we've seen from matt duncan uh you know lynch will be in the mix kamal gray is a as a preferred walk-on is in the mix and we're good at a quarterback and we need to pick up another cornerback. We'll, you know, we'll see what happens there. But again, as Kyle also cautioned too, just with somebody leaving, that doesn't mean that automatically another spot pops up there. Last uh, mailbag question we have here. This is a basketball one. This is from TU 1834 is the screen name for the Al scoop staff is Ty Strickland hurt or is him not playing a coaching decision? We know the answer to that one, right? As far as we know, it's been a coaching decision now. Well, I guess we shouldn't answer it that easily because of course Ty Strickland is coming off of shoulder surgery in the off season, but he has played. Um, I think he's kind of just the, you know, correct me if I'm wrong guys. I think he's kind of just the odd man out at this point. It's not to say that he couldn't play uh, that there couldn't be matchups or, or situations that present themselves in the future where he comes in and, and doesn't play a few minutes, but it, it has been crowded there. And as far as we know, I don't think he's re-aggravated anything. I think it has been a coaching decision, right? Yeah, I would agree that it's probably a coaching decision. And I mean, there could be some lingering issue, as you mentioned, from his shoulder surgery uh, a couple months ago. But as far as we know, again, as you mentioned, that um, he's in the he's at the point where he's sort of getting squeezed out just because it's a numbers game in terms of getting in terms of getting meaningful minutes in these games. And although he did show flashes of um, you know, a good hand on the ball, a good decision maker, a good defender. Uh, he just hasn't been able to put the ball in the basket. I think that's probably the most important thing is if he can't do that, then um, Aaron McKee and the rest of his staff are going to look to someone else that can. I think I mentioned earlier in the pod, like we just don't know what the shoulder, like it just, it could be that we, we, it, we would be wrong to speculate whether it is. I think right now it's probably a coaching decision like Sam mentioned. And it's just, it's just hard to get him minutes with, especially with Caleb battle back. I think if Caleb was still out, you'd probably see Ty Strickland out there. And if you didn't see Ty Strickland out there, that might be, you know, some tea leaves to, to read upon, but I think it, it has to, a lot to do with the addition of Caleb battle and um, the way that Jeremiah Williams, Brennan Barry and, Jamie Donovan playing. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, Thanks for listening. Once again, we'll be back next week with more basketball news, more football recruiting news, and more answers to your mailback questions. So again, thanks so much for tuning in and we will talk to you soon.